All right, uh, this morning we begin a new series of messages that I'm calling Connecting. One of the questions that is always on my mind as your pastor and a question that's always in our conversation as your shepherd elders is this. Are we the church that God intends us to be? Are we the church that God intends us to be? In reading through God's word, it is impossible to miss the fact that God created the church with specific desires in mind. And we ought to be consistently exploring his word to see what those desires are. Um, God didn't leave us on our own to come up with a plan ourselves. He's clearly stated enough about his desires for his church to keep us busy our entire lives trying to fulfill. And so we come back again today to the Bible to search for a fresh vision, a renewal of our understanding of God's desire for us. Who are we as his family? What are we to be about as the body of Christ? Last week we revisited the ordinance of communion and its biblical significance. And we discovered that as he instructed the church regarding communion, Paul also scolded the church for losing sight of something very important. They were losing sight of the church and of communion's power in affirming the unity and interdependence of the members of God's family. There were people who were being selfish and self-centered as they approached communion. Division was increasing, something that Christ clearly never intended for the church when he instituted communion. Jesus prayed for our unity. So they needed to be reminded in Paul's effective direct manner that they were missing the mark and they needed to get back on course. Now, I have a strong desire in me to see us be and become all that God desires us to be as a church. And I hope that you do too. I hope that you think about the church at, at least a little. And, and I hope that your, your thoughts about the church go beyond simply setting up expectations of what the church should do for you. Church is not a spectator sport. Church is a part of the mission that God has created you and me for. It's part of the reason for our existence. Church is family, and we know the value of family. So I want to look for a few weeks at some encouraging but challenging thoughts regarding the church. Let's begin in the Bible. So turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. This is a very familiar passage for many of you, but we're going to focus this morning on something in that passage that we may not typically dwell on when we visit Romans chapter 12. So let's read the first eight verses together. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, church, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not, have, do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And as I looked again at this passage of scripture, I realized that I have casually used this passage as a bit of a moral compass for me. Maybe you have too. Verses one and two have always encouraged me to measure myself against the world around me and make sure I'm not letting myself slip into the mold of the world. This tells me that I can't become like what I see when I look at our culture and our society. No problem. The American dream doesn't hold any real draw for me. The Canadian dream's better anyway. (laughs) I'm not controlled by the temptations of money, fame, sex, alcohol, drugs, as compared to the worst things about the world around me, I'm keeping, keeping a safe distance. Good for me. Following Romans 12 to check. So let me remind you again of the danger that exists in isolating a verse or a passage from the Bible and disregarding the context in which it is written. That's what I've done in the past with Romans 12 too. But Paul is writing to the church here in his words in Romans 12, 2, one of our favorite verses, fit into the greater context of a very strong message that Paul is sending to the church in Rome. It's a message about their relation to each other as the church, as the body of Christ. By verse 9, Paul is opening up for the church a description of the character of a follower of Jesus Christ. And it is clear here that Paul is not writing to an individual believer about his or her own personal moral compass. All of Romans 12 is written in the context of the relational aspect of the church. We cannot isolate verses 1 and 2 and think that they speak to us as individuals about our own independent moral behavior. These two verses are related to what follows them and verse 1 ties them to what came before them in chapter 11 about the wisdom and knowledge of God. God in his wisdom gave Paul by grace the words to say to the church in Rome. So Paul passes along a message from God to them and to us. And the message is consistent with what God is saying in several other passages of scripture that we'll look at in this series. God speaks to his church, his family, about the essence of our identity. So within that context, I want to now focus on one small statement made in this passage. But we have to see it within the context of Paul's words to the church. So that's why the background here. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
Now, in this series, I want to explore together what this means for us as a church. We've seen references to the church as a body in many places in Paul's writing. Very common for him to use that analogy. We know that the body of Christ has many members and that they all play specific parts. But while we know this to be true, I think we've always struggled with what it really looks like to be a body. And I happen to believe that this is one of the biggest, most challenging struggles for the church in the West. But if we're going to be and become all that God intends us to be, we've got to face this challenge and figure out what it means for us personally and corporately. And it is a challenge. Let me show you why I think this is such a challenge. Look at the last four words of verse 5. Paul states that we are members one of another. And let me state it another way that is also a very accurate translation of what Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Rome. We belong to each other. We belong to each other. As individual parts of one body, you and I belong to each other. You want me to make this even harder to swallow? Turn to the person next to you and say, you belong to me. Do it. Now, in spite of what they might have said in response, now say, and I belong to you. Do you understand what you're saying, Chapel Hill? Do you understand the statement that you just made to each other? We are members one of another. We belong to each other. Now back up in your minds to verse 2. Paul is instructing us to not be conformed to the world. Viewed in the context of Romans 12 that we can see a little clearer. Do you think that Paul may, may be referring to a principle related to living as part of something greater than yourself here? In the context of unity and interdependence among the body of Christ, nonconformity just might look a little different now. And it does to me. Rome was a bit of a template for what we now know as the Western world. One concept that was developed in Rome during the time of Christ was the concept of individualism. Individualism has to do with being independent and self-sufficient. It has to do with the belief that the needs of the individual are more important than the needs of the community or the group or the body. Sound familiar at all? This is the world that we live in. All around us, we see individualism played out. Life after life after life. Is it possible then that Paul instructed the church in Rome to not be conformed to the individualism that they saw all around them? I not only think this is possible, I think it is right at the heart of God's desire for us, right here today in Egan, Minnesota. I think it's at the heart of what God wants for us as Chapel Hill Church. 
I've spoken of our values here many times. We value growing in Christ. Our, our growth and maturity as followers of Christ is essential to us as a church. Paul instructs us to grow up into all things related to our walk in Christ. We value impacting the world here. You've just seen that demonstrated in the love that we display through our, our new refugee ministry and the support that we need to be for our missionaries that we've sent out. But we also value living in love and this value speaks to the dimension of the life of the church that has to do with how we relate to each other. And how does Paul say we relate to each other? We belong to each other. We belong to each other. We are members of each other and that is no small calling. We are to resist the temptation to conform to the individualistic mindset of our world and be transformed in our minds and hearts to fulfill our role as members of one body, the body of Christ. And that begins with the acknowledgement of the fact that we belong to each other. I was not created to be self-sufficient. I was not created to be self-reliant. I was not created to be independent. I belong to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and you belong to me. And that sounds like fingernails on the chalkboard to a Western mindset. I know that. It is so much easier for me to be independent. I can be content in the little mess that I make on my own. I get satisfaction from knowing that I can make it on my own. That I can do this on my own. Surely God wants me to experience that satisfaction. Surely he's given me all I need to make it as a self-made man. Surely he wants to see me succeed as an individual. Doesn't he? Or is there something more to God's desire for me? Have I maybe been ignoring or denying his desire for me my whole life? The Bible makes a statement about our maturity. And keep in mind that we were created for eternity, not just for this run on this planet. And remember that God's definition of kingdom is dramatically different than ours. God shows us that as we mature, our focus is to shift. It's to shift from a me-centered focus to a God and other-centered focus. We grow into recognizing that we were not created to live as islands that occasionally bump into each other and gloat to each other about our successful independence. We were created as the family of God to live as a family, as interdependent and unified as a body can be. As God's children, we belong to each other. Now, in this series, I'm not going to just make statements like that and leave it all open to interpretation regarding how these principles are carried out. Um, I want to explore with you what it means to relate to each other in the context of belonging to each other. I believe Romans 12, 5. But to be honest with, with you, I have rarely seen it lived out the way I think God desires for it to be lived out in his church. The church, including our church, is good at developing individuals. The church is good at fulfilling its mission of spreading the gospel. I think we're absolutely on the right track as we learn to reach out to our neighbors as well as this community and then the ends of the earth regions. 
My concerns are set in the realm of how we relate to each other within the church, within the body. Do we really belong to each other? Are we truly members one of another here at Chapel Hill Church? Do we relate to each other in ways that would make newcomers take note and describe us as a body, as a people that belong to each other? Or are we just a content group of individuals finding our individual needs met in the church? Do we get along as independent members of the church or are we actually interdependent? If we hold ourselves up against the New Testament church and the principles being taught to the New Testament church about unity and interdependence, how do we measure up? Chapel Hill, we're not going to skip this step in our development as a church. And this may be the most difficult aspect of what we do, but we're going to stay true to the word of God and do our best to live by the principle that we belong to each other. We are the body of Christ. He is our head and we need each other in order to be that fully functional body. So our relationships are going to have to be real. Our interactions with each other are going to have to be uplifting Our perspective towards each other is going to have to be sacrificial. We're going to have to fight with all our might to shake our conformity to the individualism of this world. And that's going to come with a cost, probably a high cost. Now, I could say a lot more this morning about what it's going to take for us to get to the point where we belong to each other. Um, But like I said, I don't want to leave you with a huge hole to fill with all the terrifying things that your mind will conjure up about this idea of belonging to each other. I'd like to see you back here next Sunday rather than fleeing in terror to another church that might just leave you alone in your comfortable individualism. (laughs) So let me give you an idea of what I think God is directing us to here. And before that, let me direct you to that pamphlet that you were handed on your way in. This is about something that we call stages Stages are ministries that have formed here at the church to provide a birthplace for friendships. This is a brief description of what we currently offer as a way to connect here at Chapel Hill. These are groups in which you can meet peers and start walking life's road together. The purpose of these groups is to help us connect with each other. These are primarily social groups. They are not intended to be the final destination for you where all your relational needs will be met. They are points of connection. Ultimately, we'd love to see you involved with a small group where you can go much deeper into growing in Christ, living in love, and impacting the world together. We believe small groups are where you'll truly be able to experience what it means to belong to each other. But these stages are a great place to start building lasting friendships and make connections that will create the sense of community that we're looking for here as God's church. And you'll see more information and opportunities related to these groups as time goes by. So as we talk about truly belonging to each other and experiencing what God desires for his church, let's start to unfold what this means. And I'll give you just a a bit of an introduction today. We'll dig into what this means very specifically as this series progresses. Let me start with a question for you. Do you know that God delights in you? Do you know that God delights in you? 
Are you living in the knowledge that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delight in you? Think about how God sees you. Do you do this very often? Do you do it at all? Do you consider how God sees you? Do you consider God's perspective more often than your own? Is his perspective rooted deeply enough in you to withstand the attacks of your own perspective and the perspective of others? Do you know for certain what God thinks of you? Do you know that God calls you the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Do you remember that you are God's child, that you have been chosen and appointed by the creator of the universe? You are God's temple, a member of Christ's body, God's co-worker. You are his workmanship, a citizen of his kingdom. You are a saint. Do you remember that you are Christ's friend, that you have been justified by him, that you share one spirit with him? You've been made righteous, adopted into God's family, redeemed and forgiven. You are complete in Christ. He is working all things together for your good. He has freed you from guilt and condemnation. He has placed his spirit in you. He's delivered you and you are hidden with Christ in God. All of these things are true of you as a follower of Christ. And they're true because God has made them true. And God has made these things true of you because he delights in you. You are the apple of his eye. His heart skips a beat when he sets his eyes on you. He jumps up and down when he sees you coming. Your father absolutely delights in you. God lovingly accepts who you are and can envision who you will become and he finds great joy in that. But let's admit, at least for those of us for whom this is true, that we have a hard time seeing this sometimes. We're not quick to see what God sees. We see what we see or what our enemy has used others to point out. We see our flesh and its weaknesses. We sometimes struggle to see those things that God sees, the things that I just mentioned. But let's say that we finally do see them. We see the fact that God delights in us. We get that God gushes when he talks about us. Well, then what? Then what? Individualism stops here and takes pleasure in knowing that God sees us this way. And we use this perspective to fight against what we hear all around us when, when we're criticized and we're reminded that yes, our flesh is imperfect. But what if we really do belong to each other in God's family? Well, that changes things. We have a responsibility now to each other and that responsibility, that privilege is to provide for each other a taste of that delight that God takes in us. As a member of God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to delight in each other. And that delight needs to be communicated among us as a reminder of just how much God delights in each one of us. So look around the room. Who here do you truly delight in? 
how is that aspect of God's image in you being demonstrated? Is there anyone here who knows that you delight in them just as God delights in them? Who here have you reminded of their identity in Christ? Who here have you affirmed as being more than imperfect flesh? Whose spirit have you touched with the love and acceptance and affirmation of Christ? Has anyone here experienced God's delight in them through you? This is one small glimpse of what it means to belong to each other in the way that God's word, the Bible, describes the church. We are reminders to each other of the delight that God finds in us. Wouldn't it be nice if we did this for each other? Well, we're going to learn how to. There are more things to consider in this, much more. But for today, I want you to wrestle with this one challenge, this one question. Where do you fall on the individualism versus belonging to each other scale? Think about that this week. Where are you on that scale and where do you need to be? This is a tough concept to define, let alone practice in a society that is so deeply individualistic. This may be the toughest thing that we pursue as a church. How do we live as a body of believers that belong to each other? This week, think about what that means and what it's going to take for you. Are you willing to follow the guidance and example set out for us in God's word? Are you willing to live in a community that belongs to each other? Are you willing to be a reminder to someone else of the delight that God takes in them? Much more to come, much more, because there's much more to this than we see this morning. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team to return, and let's pray while they do. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence here, for the ways that you have spoken to us. Thank you for meeting us in the worship, the testimony in prayer, in your word, in our interactions with each other in every way. We praise you that you're here. We thank you, Lord, for creating this thing called church. Thank you for the blessing that it is to us. Thank you for the blessing that it is to me. You know how much I need the church. God, I ask that you would teach us as we move through this series and even today right now, teach us how to be the church the way you desire the church to be. Open our eyes to understanding what it means to belong to each other. Help us to listen and respond to Paul's words to the church. Help us this week, Father, to look into the face of individualism and see it as a challenge, see it as an obstacle that needs to be removed, see it as a mountain that by faith can be removed. Help us to understand that you created us for more than just our own little bubble. Open our eyes to see that all the way back through the scriptures, your people were your people, and it was one body. God, we want to be that body. So teach us what it means to belong to each other. 
Help us to see honestly this week kind of where we're at on the individualism versus belonging to each other's scale and, and acknowledge what needs to happen. Pray that you would guide us in this, that you'd give us wisdom, that you'd give us courage and clear direction, that you would affirm for us what it is to be a part, a member of your body and to truly belong to each other. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen.